We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, I'll be reading out of the King James Version. We're going to start in verse number 6. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray once again I'd be a vessel in your hand this morning. Anoint the word and anoint the ears and the hearts of the hearers as well. Let us receive fully what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. This is one of those words that could end up being a really short sermon. Nine times out of ten when I say that, it ends up being kind of long. So I don't know what's going to happen for sure. But it feels like it's going to be a quicker one, um, or at least it looks like that on the surface. However, there are a few details that I'm probably going to run through quickly. So um, try to pay attention. And we have the podcast if you need to listen to it again and slow it down a little bit. I'm not saying that because y'all are slow. I'm saying that because I think I'm going to talk fast. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just that alone. That is a heavy, heavy, heavy verse. It's, it's difficult for whatever reason when you're perusing or reading the word of God to really stop and highlight in your mind or even sometimes literally highlight on paper some of these deep, heavy, weighty verses of Scripture because they usually are, are in the middle of a chapter or the middle of a book and you're already into it, you're already reading it and you're in your, your modus operandi, you're, uh, you're in your routine, uh, you're in the zone, so to speak. And so you just read over them. You kind of hear them in your mind when you're reading them, but you don't really stop and contemplate, at least if you're like me, that's what happens a lot of times. So every once in a while, you'll pull out a verse, and for me, it was a verse like this, that you just, if you just read it alone, just just that verse, and think about it for a second, it's kind of like a wow moment. Like, that is a huge verse. There's so much in that verse of Scripture. Let's read it again. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. Like, that's not metaphorical. He's not writing a poem. We're literally talking about the God of the universe who commanded light to shine out of the darkness. That's an amazing, amazing thing. You can't do that. I can't do that. Science can't even explain how that happened. At some point around 1965, they decided because of the evidence they've seen out there in the vacuum of space that no longer can they claim a constant state universe, but they switched over to what's known today as the Big Bang Theory. And so even science had to admit that somewhere along the line there was a beginning and it seemed to begin with a huge explosion of light. 1965, they figured that out. What we're reading right here is just decades after Christ was crucified. And Paul somehow had the knowledge to say writing in 2 Corinthians, that God commanded light to shine out of the darkness. In other words, for 2,000 years almost, 
scientists have been running around back and forth like somebody kicked over an anthill trying to figure out uh, this luminary and that planetary and this background radiant and how this happened and the constancy of the universe and what all the theories might be and how it all started and oscillating universes and different types of creation and evolution and bioengineering and all this different stuff. And they're trying to figure it all out, running around all crazy. And a long time ago, Paul was wearing a robe and sat down in prison and got a piece of paper and probably like a feather tip pen and dipped a quill in ink and said, God commanded light to shine out of the darkness. And if any scientist would have taken that to heart, they might have thought maybe light just exploded out of nowhere. Maybe it just came to be out of the darkness. And they probably would have got laughed out of the classroom or the laboratory or wherever scientists hang out. But then in 1965, they decided, they discovered, oh yeah, guess what? I think that's what happened, actually. So we're gonna have to change our textbooks because it looks like, just looks like through modern technology, that light exploded out of darkness. Just saying. That's what the numbers show. I, we'll call it the Big Bang. Sounds good. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. That's a pretty big deal right there. Now imagine that. What does that mean? That means that God is the God of everything. He's the God of the universe. Raise your hand if you're here this morning. It's real simple. Okay, just making sure. (laughs) So if you're here, this should mean a lot to you. He's the God of the universe. He created, in the book of Job, we read more poetically how he just scattered the stars out into the universe, the vacuum of space. There's billions and billions and billions of stars. And according to the Bible, God knows all the names of those stars. That's crazy. There's an untold number of planets and solar systems. Hard to comprehend. The older that you get and the more that you understand the vastness of the universe that we live in, that when we pan out for the Hubble telescope or whatever it is they use and you see the spiral galaxy that we live inside called the Milky Way and you realize that we just live in one little portion at the the end of one of those little spirals that are made up of billions of stars and each one of those spirals has billions of stars and that galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies and there are stars, luminaries, planetaries and planets involved in all of that. It is literally an innumerable number of things. Who knows what the biggest number in the world is? The biggest number in the world, and because infinity is not a number, it's a concept, is called a Google Plexian. And it's where Google got its name because they have supposedly that much stuff to read, and I believe them. Google Plexian of planets and stars, it's, it's, you cannot, we cannot comprehend it. There are more stars in the universe than there is debt in America. That's a big deal. That's a lot. So he has all of that. And then to focus in on one little planet like ours called Earth. And just on that planet alone, we're up to now somewhere between 7 to 9 billion people on this planet. Living. Billions of people that have already passed through, lived their lives and died. And God, the Bible says, knows each one of their names. And knew them, the book of Psalms tells us, before they were even in their mother's womb. Which means however many more billions of people there are to be born on this planet, he already knows them. This God that commanded light to shine out of darkness had it in his mind and cares so much about you that he also took that same theology, 
and used it in your heart. Has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, God is saying in reality, I caused light to explode in the vacuum of space and I created everything and it's incomprehensible. Metaphorically, I did that. And one reason I did that was to show you what I want to do inside your heart. That you were in a dark place. And just like I took the care and guidance to create the universe and the billions and Google Plexing of stars. I shined in your heart. To give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is no greater concept in this universe than the glory of God. The glory of God trumps all things. It supersedes all things. It is above all things. It surrounds all things. It is the thing. The fact that he would even share his glory, a glimpse of it with us, is amazing. Verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, the power that caused light to explode out of darkness and created something out of nothing in the vast expanse of the universe, we have that same treasure, that same power hidden in us inside of our earthen vessels that the excellency of his power may be of him and not of us. So it is his power, but he has shared it with us. When he says, I want to share with the world my glory, he first hid it inside of you, and he said, I put a a battery in there, I put a timer, I put a cell phone, and when I call that cell phone and I push that button, it's going to explode in your heart, and just like the universe was created out of nothing, I will show my glory through you who is really nothing, but I will make you something if you will point to me and tell them, I am everything. God is great. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light. Everybody say the light. Of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word light appears twice in verse 6, but it's not the same word. It's two different words in the Greek. And one word comes from the other word or is the root of the word. The first word is the root word of light. The second word is a more descriptive form of light. And that takes me directly to Genesis chapter 1. So if you want to go there, I want to show you why. Because of the fact, and there is public access to the journals of one Albert Einstein himself. Einstein is a Jewish last name, and he claimed that through his reading and study of the Old Testament, in particular to chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, he had a question why in verse 3 God said, let there be light, but he didn't actually create light in the way that we know it, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Until verse 14. And then he realized in Hebrew, there are two different words for light. And one, or in this, there's probably multiple, but in this chapter, there are two different words for light, and one emanates from the other. In other words, one is the root, and another one is a descriptive portion of that root or of that light. The same thing happens in verse number 6 of Second Corinthians 4 that we just read. So that takes me back here, and that makes me wonder... What's the connection? Well, I think God's making it clear that there is a connection. Because he talks about 
how God caused light to explode out of the darkness. When did that happen? In the beginning, right? So how does Genesis 1 start? Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I want to go a little bit deep and I'll run through some information that's probably a little bit too quickly. But again, it'll be on our podcast. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From a Jewish standpoint or perspective, there is a certain way of teaching the scriptures, especially of the Old Testament. For the Jews that believe in the New Testament, they do it the same way. It is a a theology or an approach called PARDS. It's P-R-D-S, P-A-R-D-E-S, if you want to spell it in English. Each one of those letters represents a word in the Hebrew language. Each one of those words represents a level of scripture. The Jewish rabbis say that every scripture employs all four levels of understanding. It's just difficult to get to the fourth level in every single scripture. But if you do, you would be highly enlightened. The P stands for the Peshat, which is just the surface level, simple level. It means what it means. So to a Jewish person, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth means that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the Peshat. The Remez is the next level. The R in the, in the word PARDS, or in the acronym, if you will, P-R-D-S. The Remez is an allegorical level. In other words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, allegorically, what does that mean? Well, you have to read the rest of the Bible and see how does God relate the heavens and the earth to his creation. And what you find later through the story of Abraham is that God told Abraham, I will give you a seed and I will give you a... Um, I will give you an offspring that will be innumerable. They will be as innumerable as the stars in the heavens and the sands on the earth. So whenever God's talking about the heavens and the earth, he's also referring to how he created human beings. We know that because after Genesis chapter 1, the rest of the Bible focuses on strictly on God's plan for mankind. Stars in the heaven, heavenly-minded people, sands of the earth, earthly-minded people. But God can save either one. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Allegorically, that's also referring to how he, his creation of mankind. We'll see that through the next few verses. The Darash refers to the, the Hebraic Midrash and is more of a metaphorical meaning, which we might get into here in a minute. And the last letter, the S, is Sod, S-O-D, and that is the deep, hidden, esoteric, um, metaphysical, or even some people call it uh, Kabbalistic meaning of each scripture. That is the deep calling unto deep. That em- employs actually seeking it out, searching it in the Hebrew language. We're going to do a little bit of that here in a second. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here we go. So how does that work? Verse number two. And the earth was without form. Now, when God created man, specifically when he created the first man, Adam, he created him out of what? The dust of the earth, right? Out of the dirt, out of the mud, out of the miry clay, right? And he, he built him up like a statue. He molded him. He shaped him. And then he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, which is an interesting study that we've gone through before, but you may not have heard it. Naturally, you would want to breathe if you're trying to bring somebody back to life and do CPR. You would breathe through their mouth. There's a reason that he chose to breathe through the nostrils. It's something you should study. It's a pretty amazing study. We've done it before. We don't have time to do it today. He breathed life into Adam. So Adam represents mankind. Mankind was made out of the dust of the earth. So allegorically, anytime that you see earth, you can allegorically think in your mind that is a reference to mankind, right? Are you with me? The earth was without form. Everybody say that's me. Everybody say that was me. Everybody say I love Jesus. Okay, so make sure you're here. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. What did 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 6 tell us? That God calls light to shine out of what? 
the darkness, right? In the beginning. So we come back to the beginning and we see the earth, say that's me, was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then the spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And what happened next? Verse number three, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Okay. You should have got excited. In other words, you were walking around this planet at some point in your life. And you were empty. God is good. Amen. Anybody love Jesus this morning? I'm just going to stop talking. Let's just love on God a little bit. I mean, let's just stay simple and forget about the deep stuff. Because simply put, God is good. And I am not. And neither are you. I love you guys. I even like some of you. But we are, compared to God, terrible. God is good. So you were walking around this planet at some point in your life. And you were just void and you were empty because God hadn't got a hold of you yet. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're walking around and it doesn't make you less than. It doesn't make you better than. If you're a Christian, God bless you. If you've been saved, God bless you. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God bless you. If you've spoken in tongues, God bless you. If you've laid hands on the sick and they've gotten healed, God bless you. If you cast out devils, God bless you. If you just sneeze, God bless you. It's all really equal. It doesn't matter where you've made it in Christianity, it doesn't matter if you haven't started Christianity yet. God loves you first. That's the only reason you have the capability to love him back. So while we were yet sinners, right? Everybody say, that's me. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. So at some point, and maybe right now, you're walking around this planet and you're void and you're empty. Maybe the drugs can't do it for you. Maybe you tried the alcohol and it's not working. Maybe you figured out that sex isn't enough. Maybe you've tried relationships and it's not working out. Maybe you've gone to self-help books and gurus and whatever and the internet and blogs and God only knows and something is not working. You've tried internet dating and it's not working out. You even closed your Match.com account and got on PlentyOfFish.com and it's still not working out. So you tried Christian Mingle and it just got worse. Okay, I'm speaking to somebody. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're still void. You're still without form. You're still trying to figure out when is this thing going to get better. And for the young man that's walked into too many churches and seen too much hypocrisy and not seen enough power and not seen real Christianity and seen a form of Christianity and been stabbed in the back and given up hope and maybe this is your last chance, you're still walking around without form, you're still void and it's not even your fault and darkness is upon the face of your deep but the Spirit of God is right now moving upon the face of the waters. And Second Corinthians chapter 4 Verse number six tells me that at some point, every single one of us was walking around hopeless and maybe our mom prayed. Maybe our mom got her finances correct. Maybe our mom got in line with God. Maybe it was grandma. Maybe it was grandpa. I don't know what happened, but you were walking around. You found your way either to an altar or to your knees. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the darkness, God went light shined out of the darkness. I went through a lot to get an amen on that. So I should have got it earlier. I went through all that to try again. I'm going to amen myself. Amen. Thank you. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light, that it was good. And then God divided the light from the darkness after he caused it to shine out of the midst. Maybe it's a coincidence that we go on to the next level 
of verse number one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the Hebrew uh, verbiage, when you look at it in the Hebrew language, there are not ten words there like there are in English, but there are seven. Seven being God's number of completion means that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created it. It was full. It was good. It was done. And that should have been it. Something happened to mess it all up, just like something happened to you and I. And he came back and he fixed it. And he'll fix you as well. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all he ever had to write. That was seven words and that meant it was done. That means that if you live on this planet, that should be enough. He created it. Therefore, he deserves it. Therefore, he deserves your worship. Therefore, he deserves your attention. Therefore, he deserves your respect therefore he at least deserves your recognition that he is real and he is good if you have it too much in your heart too much pride or anger whatever to serve him whatever but at least tell everybody that he's real and that he's good and that he did this thing because in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth seven words in hebrew that should have been it well the fourth word in those seven hebraic words happens to not be a word it's just two letters the aleph and the tav in english it would be a and z it has no translation it is the first and last letter of the hebrew alphabet maybe it's a coincidence that in the hebrew alphabet there are 22 letters in the human genome you build it through amino acids which chain together and make proteins which make up your tissue and your muscles and build the building blocks of all known life and at the base of those protein or proteinogenic amino acids there happen to be exactly 22 just like there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but he's also referring to you and me. Stars in the heavens, sands on the sea. And he did it completely with seven words, and it was done. But he didn't leave you there because he understood you were without form, you were void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So he said, 22 amino acids is not enough. I'm going to cause something to happen that couldn't happen any other way. I'm going to work through that protein. I'm going to work through those building blocks. I'm going to work through that fallen structure. And when they're right in the middle of their darkness, I'm going to cause light to shine. God is good. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the next verse, 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's get to the end of verse 6. To give the light, that's the second kind of light, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How many of you want knowledge of God's glory? Some people just want to be saved. And I respect that. I hope they get saved and I believe they will. And I'll see them in heaven. And I'll be a little bit less confused than they are. And they'll want to know why. And I'll tell them 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. There was a way while on earth to have a knowledge of the glory of God. And it wasn't through... Your church attendance, although it needs to be 100%. It wasn't through your tithe and offering, although it needs to be 110%. See, I threw the 10% in there, just kind of a play on words. Thank you. I thought that was good, too. Uh, it's not going to be due to uh, how many Hebrew words you know, how many Greek words you know, how many outreaches you did. It's not going to be the size of your church. It's not going to be the fellowship of your church. It's not going to be who your pastor was. It's not going to be the names that you knew. It's not going to be any of that. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is going to be found in one place, in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you watched the Billy Graham special, and I hope you did because it was amazing, and his prayer at the end of that special sounds like the prayer that, that you prayed in order to get saved, then I have some good news and some more good news. 
The good news is you got saved and heaven is your home. The more good news is it didn't stop there at that sinner's prayer. There's more. And so if you didn't have an experience where you felt like you came face to face with Jesus Christ, I've got more good news. There is knowledge yet to be had. There is an understanding of the glory of God as good as your life may be or as good as you feel like God is, as much as you've seen him move or he's worked in your life, I've got really good news. The knowledge of the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ, and it's not only a one-time experience. So if you've never come face-to-face, and when I say that, it's a Hebrew, it's not that you're going to see his face, although some people have, but you'll know when you've had an encounter with God. If you have not had an encounter with God, I've got some really good news. Some of the things you're struggling with, they aren't as hard as you think. Some of the prayers that aren't being answered, the answers have already come, and they're just waiting for you to grab them and receive them. Some of the things that haven't happened are right around the corner waiting to happen, but they need you to have an experience and an encounter with God so you'll have the knowledge of his glory, because when you sent that prayer up it went into god and from his glory emanated the answer but if you have no knowledge of god's glory you cannot reach into the spiritual world and bring that thing into the physical world that god is trying to do for you so what you need to do is more than pray seek after god encounter god and if you've had that experience before ante up and have it again because it can be had multiple times The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That light is the secondary light. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and he only said it once. But that secondary light, in verse 14, that happens new every day. The sun rises every day. The moon goes through cycles every month. This is the light referred to in the second part of verse 6 of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Every day you wake up, he's been resurrected. Every day you wake up, he's on the throne. Every day you wake up is a new day. God didn't forsake you. God didn't leave you. Even better than that, he's drawing you to him. You're moving forward. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but if you're trying, if you're sticking with them, you're moving forward. He's still on that throne. Every day is a new day. Seek his face and counter him. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure. Everybody say the glory Glory. of God. God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That earthen vessel is you. That earthen vessel is me. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That word vessel in Hebrew refers specifically to Actually, let me take you to the scripture. Acts chapter 27. Think verse 17. Acts 27 and 17 says, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, they lowered the sails and were driven. 
That word sail is the same word in Greek as the word vessel that we just read. So to have this treasure hidden in earthen vessels refers to a vessel that is like a ship. We've all heard a ship called a vessel before, but when you see earthen vessels, you probably think more of earthenware, like a vessel like in a kitchen or something of that nature or a jar that people refer to. But in the Greek, it's actually more like a ship, that type of a vessel. Why is that important? There's a number of reasons why that is important. I want to go to Hebrews six, nineteen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's start in verse 14, because verse 17, I'm sorry, the end is hard to understand without this. Verse 14 saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And then let's go to verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise and immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into that which was within the veil. The part that I want you to, to key in on is the hope that we have is an anchor of the soul. Everybody say anchor. anchor. It is an anchor of the soul. Sure and steadfast by two immutable things. Now let's go backwards again to Second Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to end right here in verse 7. Our worship team can go ahead and come up. But we have this treasure. Everybody say the glory of God. In earthen vessels. Now that's me and that's you. But that vessel is likened unto a ship. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So in other words, we have the glory of God hidden within us because the Bible says in Proverbs 25 two that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. So it is concealed within you, hidden within a broken vessel, hidden within a lackluster vessel, hidden within an imperfect vessel is a mode of perfection, is the glory of God. And it's waiting to shine out of the darkness and project in a way of light. And he's wanting to do that through you. We have this treasure hidden in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power. Here's the extra good news. That word excellency means exceedingly, which takes me to Ephesians chapter three, where God says that he is exceed. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. So are you asking God for something and you're not sure if it's going to happen? I want to give you a little clue. I want to give you a little hint. Have an encounter with God like we talked about in verse number six, because inside of you, he wants to hide his glory. And if it's hidden inside of you and you have that knowledge in that earthen vessel, he's wanting to shine out of the darkness. And he says right here that there is an excellency to that power. In other words, that inside of you, does everybody know the Bible says the kingdom of God is within you? So within you, that kingdom of God, that glory of God, Deep is calling unto deep. When you're praying, the answer comes from within you. He puts it right in you so that you're able to receive it. But you've got to have a knowledge of his glory. And if you have that, that power that's in you is excellent. And in Greek, it's exceeding. And that means that he is not just wanting to answer your prayer. He is wanting to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can think or ask. Amen. If that doesn't get you excited, Amen. I love you anyway, but you should be excited. That that power may be of God and not of us. I'm glad that it calls us a vessel like a ship. 
Because sometimes in this walk with God, whether it's a wave of his glory or whether it's like Isaiah says, when the enemy comes in like a wave, sometimes it's hard to decipher who is causing the typhoon, who is causing the tidal wave. There's been a couple of times in my life where I'm honest to God, despite all the Greek, all the Hebrew, all the study, all the time spent with God, I've had to sit down on my couch and ask myself, now, am I fighting God or the devil? I cannot tell. I cannot tell right now. All I know is that it's more powerful than me. And I know that my faith is tried by fire, so I'm not putting it past God to let me go through a thing. But am I doing it right? And if I'm not, like if I'm trying to take up for myself, am I, when, I'm, when I'm fighting back, am I fighting against God? Is he wanting me to just relax and let him handle it? Or am I fighting against the devil? Because every once in a while, he told the children to go, the children of Israel, go right into a land and take it over. And then every once in a while, he said, hang back and just worship me and I'll do it for you. So sometimes I don't know. And I'm sure sometimes you don't know. That's why I'm glad that the treasure's hidden in an earthen vessel like a ship. Because the Bible says we have a hope that acts like an anchor for our soul. And at the end of the day, the soul is the important part. The soul is what lives in heaven forever or lives in another place forever. So whether I'm riding a wave of his glory or I'm riding the attack of the enemy, if I can't figure it out, I can rest on this one thing. I have a hope in Jesus Christ that will anchor my soul. Because sometimes even the blessings will throw you off. They're too much. I've seen people get blessed right out of church. I mean, dead serious. You've probably seen it. If you haven't, you will. Sometimes the fight's too much, sometimes the blessing's too much. But if you don't let go of that anchor, if you maintain that hope in Jesus Christ, in other words, I have a real strong hope in him when I am irreversibly in debt because I need him so bad. Will I still have that much hope in him when there's six digits in in my bank account? Because that shouldn't change your hope level in Jesus Christ. That level of hope in him should be an anchor to your soul, no matter whether you're fighting the debt or you're fighting the abundance, so to speak. The two immutable things that he said by an oath that he cannot lie is that he will bless you, one, and he will multiply you, two. And keep that hope in him as an anchor for your soul. Never lose that. Because the fight might get harder. Or the blessings might get bigger. I can't tell you what's coming tomorrow, but I know one thing that shouldn't change. My hope and my desire lie in him and furthermore in my daily interaction seeking to have an encounter with him. Because the knowledge of him lies in that face-to-face meeting. Verse number seven, once again, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I'm not going to preach this. I'm just going to read it and we're going to end here. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Remember, you're a ship in the ocean. Troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. We will bear about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in the spirit the life also of him might be made manifest in our body. So are you distressed? You're not alone. Are you perplexed? I said I wasn't going to preach that. I changed my mind. Are you perplexed? You're not alone. Are you troubled? You're not alone. Are you cast down? You're not alone, but you have an anchor 
so that you don't have to be distressed. You don't have to be in despair. You will never be forsaken. Cast down, but you won't be destroyed. You will be asked from time to time to bear about in your body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life in him also may be made manifest. The extra super good news about that, you can't kill somebody that's already died. So when he was normal-ish, in human form, they killed him. And death was the ultimate secret weapon. Once he was resurrected and he defeated death, oh, they've got nothing else to do. Well, we can't kill him. We already did that. It didn't work. So if you bear about the death of him, that sounds negative, but it's that the life may be manifest. If you go ahead and die to yourself, there will be something that will rise up inside of you that can't be killed. Because it's that second life of Jesus Christ. It's that resurrected life that would have never happened if he wouldn't have died. But once he's resurrected, you can't kill him again. It doesn't work. So don't be afraid of burying that in your body. Let your hope rest in that. Let your soul be anchored in that. Never despair, and you'll never be destroyed. God is good. Amen?